You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the paranormal, the mysterious, and the strange. Welcome back, Goblins! I'm your host, Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, Season 2, Episode 12, King Tut's Plus 5 Meteoric Dagger, Insect Antiseptic, and Doom! Tonight's show is brought to you by my generous patrons, specifically Annie K, Kylie H, and Soul Rising Studios. I also mused in previous episodes about bestowing an honorary title upon one of my longtime patrons, and guess what? That time has arrived. Samantha Shaver, you have earned the permanent title of Grand Inquisitor. Congratulations, and thanks for your continued support. If you too want to help out this show, you can find me on Patreon.com. All patrons get early access to episodes, and those pledging $3 or more a month get extended book club episodes. At higher tiers, you can get shoutouts on shows like those whose names I just mentioned. That's patreon.com forward slash esoteric book club. Now, on with the show. In 1984, the band Iron Maiden released a song called Two Minutes to Midnight. Man, I wish we were still at the two-minute mark. The song is a reference to the Doomsday Clock, which is used to visually represent how close humanity is to its own destruction. Once it hits midnight, the hands will no longer threaten doom, but solidly hand it to us on a silver platter, and then beat us over the head with said platter. When it was created in 1945, the clock was responding to the irrational stockpiling of weapons around the world. Then came the bomb, with a capital B. You know the one I'm talking about. Since then, new threats have been added to the calculations, including climate change, biological warfare, nanotechnology, and cyber warfare. 2022 also saw some additions, specifically the root causes of some of our current societal woes, such as extreme affluence. Extreme affluence is where the ludicrously rich of the world are responsible for most of the pollution and resource consumption, while their exorbitant wealth largely insulates them from the consequences of their actions. In a stranger turn of events, they've also had to include the ever-increasing threat of artificial intelligence and autonomous weaponry. You remember those weird robotic dogs that I covered a few years ago? Yeah, since then someone decided it was a good idea to mount machine guns and rocket launchers on them. I wish I were joking. Apparently, we're just skipping right past the mechanical hound from Fahrenheit 451, who only had a syringe. So where's the doomsday clock currently set? Well, I have bad news for you. We're no longer counting down in minutes. We're now counting by the second. Just a mere 100 seconds to be precise. A brief postscript to this article. This designation was set back in January of 2022. While the clock hands haven't moved forward yet, it's not unheard of for the clock to be changed mid-year. On a happier note, Catalonia is set to pardon 1,000 people accused of witchcraft throughout its history. 
The witch trials, which persisted for over 400 years, lasted far longer in this region than the rest of Western Europe. The last Catalan woman executed for witchcraft was in the 18th century, well after the rest of Europe had concluded their witch hunting. It seems that Catalonia was so much worse because confession alone was enough for conviction. As we now know, if you torture someone long enough, they will confess to pretty much anything. Oddly enough, when the Spanish Inquisition got involved, the number of executions actually went down because they required, well, they required evidence. In a recent documentary entitled Witches, the Big Lie, Catalan President Per Aragones called the witch hunts institutionalized femicide due to the sheer number of women accused and executed for witchcraft in his region's history. But hey, they're getting pardons now, so that makes everything better, right? King Tutankhamun had some wild stuff in his tomb. Like, cocaine. How the hell does a guy from ancient Egypt get access to blow in 1300 BC anyway? I'm getting distracted. We're not talking about King Tut's coke habit, but instead about an ornate dagger that seems to have been a family heirloom. What's wild about this dagger is that it seems some of its parts may have fallen from the heavens. No joke, this thing is pretty spectacular. It seems that some of the iron used in this blade came from a meteorite. Let me take a moment just to point out that iron weapons were rather rare at this time anyway, let alone a weapon made from meteoric iron. I'm sure some of you have already heard about this dagger, but new analysis have allowed scientists to determine what type of meteorite it came from, as well as the process used to forge it. It has long been suggested that the dagger was created outside of Egypt and was brought to the empire as a gift for the pharaohs. Chemical analysis of the gold and gemstones in the hilt seem to reinforce this theory. The blade is equally fascinating. In parts of the dagger, scientists noticed a unique crosshatch pattern in the iron. This unique structure is known as a Widmanstaten structure and is indicative of an octahedrite meteorite. I had to take a small detour to look up what an octahedrite meteor actually was. Octahedrites are one of the most common forms of iron meteor and are known for their concentration of nickel, which causes the Widmanstaten pattern. What exactly does this pattern look like? It reminds me of the Valnut pattern in Norse art. For the gamers out there, Imagine if someone drew a ton of Triforce designs with a fractal pattern, and you get a rough idea. So that is what scientists were seeing in the metal of this dagger. Combine that with the blackened spots on the surface, created by sulfur inclusions from the meteor, and you can pretty well narrow down what it was made from, as well as how it was made. In order for that pattern to remain on the blade, it had to have been forged at temperatures below 1700 degrees Fahrenheit. We also have excerpts from the Amarna letters, which say that Tut's grandfather was given a fancy iron dagger with a gold hilt from the king of Mitanni, and we get a pretty good estimated provenance of this amazing item. An item that was locked in a tomb for thousands of years, 
after being a family heirloom for only three generations. It almost sounds like the plot of a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. If anybody wonders what this dagger looks like, there are excellent pictures of it attached to this article. We humans create a lot of trash. Enough so that we have a term for trash that we discard haphazardly. Litter. It seems that some of our recent activity is about to take littering to a whole new level. Mankind is poised to litter on the moon. Now some of you may say that we technically have already done this with the moon landing in the 60s, while the rest of you deny that America even went to the moon. This is the first time that random debris is going to strike the lunar surface, though. What sort of debris are we talking about? In this case, a stray spent rocket engine. Initially, it was assumed to have been part of a SpaceX rocket that was abandoned in space in 2015. But recently, it's been theorized that it's actually part of China's Chang'e 5T1, which launched in 2014. Of course, both parties deny all allegations. At least China was able to say that the module in question had re-entered Earth's atmosphere where it was incinerated. But that's what they say. Being incinerated in the atmosphere is a rather convenient claim considering that it leaves no evidence behind. Spokesman Wang Wenben recently stated that Beijing conscientiously upholds the long-term sustainability of activities in outer space. Either way, I think people are too focused on pointing fingers and not looking at the big picture. The moon influences all liquids on the Earth. It's the reason we have tides. It's even suspected that it may influence the liquid mantle of the Earth. You know, the molten rock that the tectonic plates all float on? So if we begin to monkey around with celestial objects that has that much power over our planet, we may end up shooting ourselves in the foot. This is one of the big reasons that I completely oppose mining operations on the moon. We really have no idea what the effects of the added, and subsequently reduced, mass of the moon will have on our planet. Remember what I said in the article about the doomsday clock? Extreme affluence? Yeah, this is a pretty good example of that. I know there's a lot going on, but has anyone been keeping an eye on the other primates lately? They're starting to freak me out a little bit. They seem to be getting smarter. In this specific instance, Alessandra Mascaro, a volunteer evolutionary biologist, was filming chimpanzees in Gabon. It seemed like a normal routine day. She filmed for a while and later reviewed the footage. Apparently, something happened that didn't draw her attention in the moment, but certainly did during the review. A mother chimp was grooming her child when she snatched at something from the underside of a leaf and pressed it against the underside of her child's foot. Strange behavior, right? Alessandra mentioned it to some of her colleagues who began to watch for similar behavior. It turns out that this is something that's going on rather frequently. So what exactly is going on? Our best guess, based on the few clues that we can glean from watching the footage, is that the chimps are gathering a specific insect and applying it to their wounds, 
Now, it's not unheard of for animals to medicate themselves, usually eating specific plants to rid themselves of parasites and other internal ailments. But this is one of the few times that we see a treatment applied topically to a wound. And this isn't like they're using a leaf as a bandage, either. This seems to be applied as an antiseptic or even as a painkiller. There's more, though. In the first instance, we saw a mother apply the treatment to her offspring, right? In another instance, a mother chimp caught the presumed insect and handed it to her young offspring to apply to his own wound. When he did, the other adults helped to corral the insect into proper placement. They're not just medicating, and they're not just showing social cohesion, but they're teaching as well. Chimpanzees show a lot of behaviors that seem to be social, but biologists debate whether they are actually done for the group or if they are simply done to enhance their own safety. For example, the formation of a troop patrol by adult males. They're protecting their territory, but are they consciously forming the troop to work as a unit, or are they just going as a group because it enhances the safety of the individual? That's why this application of primitive medicine is so important. It's a task that doesn't directly affect the health and safety of the individual, but seems to show a level of either empathy or long-term survival strategy. We're still pretty far from a Planet of the Apes scenario, but this is still a pretty exciting revelation. This is another instance where we are watching evolution take place in real time. Okay, this next article is going to need a little bit of back information first. The sun is a big ball of plasma. Many people think of it as a fireball, which would be pure energy. But that's not quite accurate. It's more like, oh, a big fiery ball of jello that's not quite set all the way. Now the heat comes from the core. And if the surface is all kinds of gooey, you can get pockets of expansion also known as a bubble, that flings part of this energetic goo into space. This is called a coronal mass ejection, or CME for short. There are also solar flares, which are similar, but consist of radiation which can interfere with radio frequencies. And we're not just talking about your AM FM band radio, either. Remember what we learned in the 8th Tower episode? Basically everything in modern society runs on a type of radio wave. For this next part, you have to know about an event that you may have heard of, but may not have actually had explained to you before. And that is a Carrington event. This was a singular event whose name is now used for an entire phenomenon. The first Carrington event was the observation of a coronal mass ejection made by the astronomers Richard Carrington and Richard Hogden. In it, a geomagnetic solar storm formed and later slammed into the Earth, knocking out telegraph communications throughout all of Europe and North America. It was so bad that some telegraph operators were shocked by their machines, and some telegraph poles were reported to have thrown showers of sparks. It even started a few fires. The entire globe saw auroras in the skies on the night of the incident. Now, this was in September of 1859, 
so we didn't have a lot of technology that was influenced by this event. Despite that, it still caused widespread chaos. Moving on to the article. Scientists have discovered evidence of a massive coronal mass ejection that took place 9,000 years ago. One that appears to have been bigger than anything in recorded history, and that includes the historic Carrington event. How exactly do we know this? So when a solar storm hits the globe, it carries with it isotopes of carbon, beryllium, and chlorine. These isotopes get deposited on the surface and in specific locations, locked in place. Places like the ice sheets of Greenland and Antarctica, which is exactly where this evidence was found. Based on the findings, scientists placed the date of the storm around 9,125 years ago. Prior to these findings, evidence of the largest solar storm dates to the year 774, which was so impactful that evidence of the event could be seen in tree rings. The event from 9,000 years ago was bigger than that, and both events were larger than the Carrington event. A solar storm of this size would absolutely cripple the globe at this point. Every single electronic device would be affected by this. As if that weren't scary enough, I have worse news. We don't even know how to predict these storms. At one time in North America, there existed a massive empire that is commonly known as the Mound Builders. They existed for hundreds of years, when suddenly their empire collapsed without a known cause. Many theories have been suggested, ranging from war, climate change, deforestation, even to the plague. Despite all the theories, there has been no definitive proof for what may have caused the collapse of the mound builder culture, at least until now. There came a great horned serpent that streaked across the sky, dropping rocks as it went. It left destruction in its wake before diving into a river. This traditional story from the Miami tribe of Ohio may be more telling than we realize. What natural phenomena would appear like a blazing serpent in the night sky, dropping debris as it passed? I think you see where I'm headed with this. If this horned serpent was in fact a meteorite, where is the evidence? Considering how long ago this happened, the evidence would be exactly where you'd expect to find it, buried beneath the soil. Researchers looked at 11 different Hopewell sites, one of the eras of the mound builders, and found something rather peculiar, a layer of charcoal, platinum, and iridium. The charcoal layer is pretty straightforward. Something set the forest ablaze, leaving nothing but a smoldering ruin behind. The clue to what started that blaze is found within the two associated minerals. Platinum is generally found after volcanic eruptions, but with no other evidence of this, scientists had to look for alternative explanations. That's when they noticed the iridium. Iridium is the second densest metal known to man, 
and is part of the platinum group. That said, it is an extremely rare mineral on Earth, but not as rare on a cosmic scale. Iridium is frequently found in comets and meteors. In fact, the presence of iridium is used to determine impact sites and was used as evidence of the asteroid strike at the end of the Cretaceous. That strike dispersed so much iridium that there is a set layer of the stuff along the KT boundary, which is the sedimentary layer that geologically dates the end of the dinosaurs. What does all of this have to do with the end of the mound builders? When archaeologists analyzed the soil in those 11 Hopewell sites, they found finely powdered iridium. That eliminates the theory of an impact, but it does lend credence to the idea that something may have detonated in the atmosphere. What's more fascinating is that the iridium, in a powdered form, becomes potentially flammable. The theory is this. Towards the end of the Hopewell era, there came a meteorite, a rather large one at that. It didn't strike the surface of the Earth directly, but instead struck the atmosphere where it created a chain of explosions. Its debris trail flickered behind it, much like a snake's tail, and the flares caused by the main body entering the atmosphere resembled a set of horns. It showered the surface with blazing hot minerals, namely platinum and iridium, which ignited the flora of the Ohio Valley. This inferno spread rapidly and consumed much of the region. Without a ready supply of timber for construction and fuel, large-scale settlements had to be abandoned. That's also assuming that they weren't scorched in the blaze themselves. The survivors found a new way of life, dividing into different tribes and bands, living in smaller, more mobile settlements. As a result, stories passed down through the generations about a great horned serpent that brought destruction to the native peoples. This story, as with all good stories, spread far and wide and can now be found in many Eastern and Midwestern Native American tribes. While more research needs to be conducted, the evidence for this hypothesis is starting to build up and it looks like the horned serpent may have, in fact, been responsible for the destruction of the mound builders. Well, our time is almost up, so you know what that means. It's time for... News of the Weird. In a theoretical research paper, scientists hypothesized that planets could gain an intelligence of their own if the right events were to take place. These events would require technology to become integrated with other planetary systems, such as geological and ecological systems. That said, Mother Earth is dumb. How dumb is she? She's so dumb that she has yet to achieve a mature level of technological integration with her natural environment, allowing her to create an amalgamation of the sum of all knowledge on a global scale. Yeah, astrobiologists have really lame yo mama jokes. In other news, the International Space Station is due to be decommissioned in 2031. How are we going to disassemble it? Easy. We're just going to crash it into the Earth. Well, 
into the ocean to be more specific. There's nothing that could go wrong with that plan, right? When asked for more details, NASA collectively said, Woo-wee! Hold my beer and watch this! Fossilized dinosaur footprints at the Mill Canyon Dinosaur Track Site were irrevocably damaged by a backhoe during an attempt to repair the boardwalk, which was ironically installed to protect the tracks. When confronted about the damage, the contractors in charge of the backhoe, that was still sitting at the site, said, I didn't do it. All construction at the site has ceased until an investigation can be concluded. In our final article tonight, archaeologists recently examined the interior of a Roman-era clay flower pot from Sicily using microscopic analysis. They found that this was not in fact a flower pot, but instead a chamber pot. When asked about this, the archaeologist in charge replied, Well, crap. In conclusion, we may be less than two minutes to midnight, but most people today can't read an analog clock, so they're blissfully unaware of their own imminent doom. I'm your host Jason, and you've been listening to the Esoteric News Briefs. <laughs>